Good morning. Welcome to New City. I'm just teasing you guys. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. <clears throat> My name is Tom. I'm one of the elders here, and I get the privilege of sharing God's word with you today and what he's put in our, in our hearts as, as preachers, teachers, elders for this congregation. Um, we don't think it's by chance that you're here today. I don't think that. Um, I think God loves you, and he's drawing you to himself. And one one of my hopes, one of our hopes as elders is that you would surrender your life to God today. If you haven't yet, that you would. Um, another hope is if you have surrendered your life to God, that you would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would teach others about this good news. And really... Um, just proclaim what you've been hearing, what you've heard. Proclaiming the teachings of the apostles. So we're going to talk about the gospel today, but first, um, <clears throat> I want to kind of bless you. Proclaim today that this is not, this church is not this place, it's not a building, it's not an event on Sunday, it's a people, it's you guys, it's us. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. So as you think about what it means to be the church, remember that. I think in American culture, we're ingrained to think church is a place we go on a certain day of the week for a couple hours. And that's not what the church is. That's not what the Bible says is the church. So just remind you of that. And, and not just the church to be inwardly focused, but we're the church to actually help each other remember the truth of the gospel and the good news, and to go and be that proclamation to the world. The, the people who go to the world and say, this is what Jesus did, and share that good news. So and we'll get into that more today. It's, it's really cool. Today we're actually working through what we're calling the basics. It's like the beginning of the year, let's start off with just the basics of the gospel. So we're going to talk about the basics of the gospel. <clears throat> we're going to basically talk about the power of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel. We're going to talk about our identities in Christ. And this is over the next several weeks. I'm not going to cover all that today. Um, and we're going to talk about some rhythms of life that we naturally and, and everybody lives in rhythms of life, but we're going to talk about it from the perspective of, of intentionally living out those rhythms as the people of God, as family, as people who have been saved and ransomed. So we'll talk about that over the next uh, several weeks. Um, for those of you that are part of this family here, we really, um, we think pursuing... Life lived in community and on mission is the most enjoyable way to be the family of God. We do this, the structure that we've called and used is called, we do this through gospel communities or missional communities. Or groups of people around the city kind of live nearby or in relation to another. Live life out, not just on Sunday morning, but from Monday through Saturday. 
the, the idea is to live all of life together. So we call that gospel community or missional communities. And we want to encourage everybody that's part of this family to plug into that, to be involved in missional community or gospel community. We also do this through DNA groups. And DNA groups are kind of a, a little bit more focused than the gospel community in that groups of men and groups of women get to actually expose themselves emotionally, spiritually, not physically. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad, it's a bad choice of words. It's a, in other words, DNA groups are really so that you can be known and that you can know others. Because it's really in the knowing of who you really are and in knowing who someone else really is that, that gospel issues come up, that we expose the sin, the idols of our hearts to one another. And so we're calling and asking everybody to be involved in a DNA group and to really pursue that, pursue being known on a, on a deeper level. So I want to encourage you in that today. <coughs> today, we're basically doing, we're starting our membership class for this community. But the basics is the membership class for New City Church. I mean, redemption, I mean, what are we? Sorry, I wasn't here. I told you guys I'd give you hints, but we're actually trying to figure out what our name is as a church because we've been two churches that have merged together. So next week we're going we're gonna to officially find out. <clears throat> but this is our membership class. And today we're going to begin with the power of the gospel. The gospel is about God's work. It's not about ours. The gospel is what we are about as a people. We are about the good news of Jesus Christ. And we'll break that down and unpack it all kinds of different ways today. We're not about a methodology first. That's not our first goal or our first premise is about a method. And I, when I say method, I mean when I talked about gospel communities and DNAs. That's not what we're about first. The first thing that we're about is the gospel of grace. See, everyone lives their lives according to some gospel, some good news, some news, some story. Everyone. And it determines how you work, how you eat, how you rest, how you celebrate. It determines who you listen to. It determines how you give in, in terms of being generous to others. What you believe, what story you're living by determines those things. Today, we want to point you to the gospel, capital G gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or the story that actually matters. We want you to see why you need Jesus. Why you need to surrender your life to Him. We want to see you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we want to see you teach others about the gospel. So let's begin by praying. Father, we thank you for the good news. It, just the idea that this is the most earth-shattering news 
that ever was or ever will be, that Jesus Christ, that God, you became flesh in the person of Jesus. You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross for our sins and paid the price that we deserve to pay. That you, by your Spirit, were raised from the dead and bring us new life. And that you give us your Spirit who lives in us. That news is bigger and better than any news we could ever hear, we could ever know about. So today, I pray that the truth of that news would cut us to the heart. That it would be fresh again for those of us who know that news. That it would be brand new, life-shattering news for those of us who may have never heard it. God, I thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to save. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would be more glorious and more famous and more amazing and more wonderful today than you have been for any of us in the past. That every day as we hear and understand these things that we would just grow in our, our marvel at your name and our worship of who you are. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I'm going to start there. And this is Paul, a guy named Paul writing a letter to the, to the people of Romans, to the Roman people, the church in Rome, the body of Christ in Rome. And he says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I think just to begin with, I want to kind of unpack this word. This word gospel. How many of you have heard that term before? What, how many of you heard the word gospel before? I hear it a lot in just common everyday language. No, it's the gospel truth. I promise I'm not lying to you, man. I think um, over the years kind of we and I, I'm confessing my own laziness maybe, uh, just kind of grown numb to what that word means. In the Greek, the word is euangelion. And it means good tidings or glad tidings or good news or God's spell. So when we talk about, when Paul says in the previous verse, that we read, I'm not ashamed of the good news. It is the power of God for salvation. The good news is the power of God for salvation. And as I thought about this last night, 
because I found out last night I was preaching today. <laughs> I was thinking as I thought about it this week, which is what I would normally say. No, it was just last night. <laughs> I wondered, you know, have I just lost perspective? Or have I just, do I really believe that this happened? How many of you are there with me? Nobody. I'm alone. Great. (laughs) Um, I mean, think about this. How many times in our lives do we get news? I'm going to invite you guys to speak out for a minute. What are some ways where you've received some really, really good news? Other than Jesus Christ, like just common life experience. Bless Huh? Marriage. Yeah, I know for me that was fantastic news because I married the best wife ever. She's not here today. She's sick. But it was fantastic news that she said yes. It was really good news. What else? Pregnant, having a baby. I have three, three beautiful daughters. And every time, every time we found out we were pregnant, my wife was pregnant. It was glorious, joyful news. It was awesome. What else, David? Yeah, getting paid. That is good news. Payday. That is good news every, every month. Huh? New job. Yeah, fantastic. You guys have actually nailed all the things I wrote. What else? Huh? Accepted into school. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what do these cha- what does this news do for us? What does it do for our lives? It gives us hope. It's satisfying to get news like th- like that. That's good. Huh? God's promises, yeah, makes us happy. It does. It does something really strange. It changes us, right? What does having a baby do? I know for my wife, for my wife and I, I had to, all of a sudden I had like a list of honeydew lists. You know, you got to fix this. And, Make sure it's safe for kids and the room needs to be painted. And I had to make furniture. It changes life. It changes us. Getting married changes you. Believe me, men, if you're not married, marriage changes you. It changes how you live. No more leaving the seat up on the toilet. And I've figured out, I've figured out it's not about being up or down. It's not about that. It's about my wife not having to touch the seat when she goes in there. Am I wrong? So if it's up when I go, and that's fine, put it down. If it's down when I go, make sure it's clean. and It changes you. It changes the way you live. It changes life, right? It actually... It really changes you. New jobs change you. Changes your plans. It changes kind of your approach. How many of you single guys have life insurance? The smart ones probably do. (laughs) 
How many have you chosen to have a life insurance? <laughs> when you have a family and, ch- and children, you start to think about what are they going to do if something happens to me? It changes you. News, good and bad, changes you. <clears throat> now think about the good news that Paul's talking about. How has that changed you? Don't answer that. See, the gospel that Paul's talking about is the good news. In all caps, it's the good news. It's the good news that God sent Jesus to redeem and to restore all things. Through Jesus, God is reconciling our rebellion by redeeming us and bringing us into a place of relationship with Him. He's bridging a major, massive, unpassable chasm that separates us from Him. That sin has caused. So what makes this such good news? We're going to kind of unpack that today and we're going to, we're going to take a look and find out. Paul says, The gospel is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. The first thing I want to kind of just put out there, and it's where we're starting, is that this gospel, this good news, is His work. It's God's work. It's by His power. And we can't do anything to change that. We can't do anything to change our situation. We can't do anything to improve our predicament. The gospel is God's work. It's not based on people being good. God takes messy messy and messed up people. And He gives them faith to believe in His work. And what He has done. And that's what makes them good. The work of Jesus makes us righteous. Makes us good in the eyes of our Father. Puts us in right standing with Him. But it's His work. It's His work. It's His work. Paul says, by faith. What does faith mean? You can answer. Trust. Belief. Yeah, it's believing. God's people believing in Him and trusting Him results in living in dependence on what? On my own strength? On His strength. I was talking with a guy yesterday at a coffee shop and we got into this conversation and I don't know how it got to the point that it did. But he was telling me that he really wanted to live a life that was marked by by doing well, doing good. And he shared with me, he says, my mom always told me, she always told me growing up. Just to be good, to do right, and to, to live according to the Bible. And if I could do those things, everything would fall into place. My life would be just great. It would be perfect. It would all work out. And he confessed to me. He was saying how life has just not worked out. It's not been good. And he was in a place of kind of, I would say, brokenness. And I thought about it for a minute. And I didn't say anything to him at the moment. I just thought about his... His mom's advice, it was great advice. Do good, 
live according to the Bible. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and everything will be added to you. That's great advice. That's good motherly advice. But as we talked more, I think God kind of reminded me in my own heart that it's not necessarily... The issue wasn't the advice for me. I was having a hard time with it. The issue for me was the motivation. Motivation oftentimes for me, and if you agree with me, just say a little amen. Motivation can come from a place of disbelief in the gospel. And let me tell you what I mean. If I do good, if I obey God's word, then I'll have right standing with him. Does anybody else think that sometimes? I I probably think that at least ten times a day. Man, if I just make this decision, my father's going to be happy with me. My my father in heaven's going to be happy with me if I just uh, if I'm ethical in the way I do business, or if I if I love my kids in a way that's not harsh, or if I serve my wife, my, I'm going to be accepted and loved by my Father in Heaven. How many of you feel that way sometimes? <clears throat> I think yesterday I was just reminded that the good news is not like that. That's not good news. Because I can tell you now that I'm not going to serve my wife like I should, or like I think I should. I'm not going to be good and make right decisions and be obedient to God's Word. I'm going to fail. The good news is that Jesus died for me. I already have right standing before God. I am a son of the king. It's motivation. And and I think God was just showing me yesterday, even before I knew I had to preach, or I got to preach, sorry. I get to preach. Even before I knew I'd get to preach today or teach today, God was showing me that I have an issue here. And it's an issue of motivation. It's an issue of, am I living life from a place of identity in Christ and gratitude? Or am I living life from a place of, I need to earn that place before my God, before my Father? And I'm guilty of the, of the latter. If I am saved, I will surrender to God's will for my life. If I really believe I'm saved, I'll surrender. If my identity is a, the identity of a son or a daughter, for those of you women here, then I'll seek to obey my father because I'm a son and he's my father. If if I'm grateful that I'm no longer separated from God by sin and no longer deserving of his wrath, then I'll live in pursuit of righteousness. And it's the slightest difference. And I think sometimes the enemy comes and kind of just twists the gospel just a little bit. Because doing good and living according to God's word and trying to do right in life, those are great things. But if they're motivated by 
a desire to perform and earn and succeed in establishing a place before God, then it's a then it's a wrong motivation. Because God saved me, no matter what happens, I can find joy and peace. Because I'm a son of the king. And we we know how the Bible ends, right? He wins. God wins. We're on we're in his family. He wins. No matter what happens. As we start to see these things, we can we can see just how powerful the gospel can be. It it brings change to all those areas that we talked about before, like life, marriage, fatherhood, motherhood, paychecks. How many of you guys know someone who has been completely changed because of this good news? How many of those people are you and me? (laughs) Yeah, think about, man, I knew this guy. He was on the, just a road that was a bad road and God broke in with the truth of the gospel. He was totally changed and everybody around him was like, oh my gosh, how could this be? It's It's dramatic. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, I was that way too. And man, where would I be today if the Holy Spirit didn't give me eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? But it's only good news if you believe this second thing. And the second thing I want to share with you is is hard to hear. It's kind of hard to hear. Because we don't like to hear this stuff. And the, the thing I want to share is the gospel is saving us from something very bad. Very bad. And we, we, t- we tend to pretend that it's not that bad, but it's very bad. Open your Bibles to Romans, or just continue on in that passage from, from verse 18. We're going to read through 23. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The thing that's hard to hear is that there's not a person on the planet that can say they don't know about God. That's what that says. Nobody, nobody can say, I I never knew, I didn't know about God. God says here, 
You know about me because I created everything and you can see me in creation. And there's no excuse. Creation clearly displays God and it tells of His existence and what He's like. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. But everyone is born suppressing the truth, trying to make the world about them and themselves instead of about God. And that's what he's saying here. Paul is saying nobody has an excuse and everybody deserves what? Wrath. Does anybody remember a little story in the Bible about God's wrath? Can anybody recite one? There's several. What does God's wrath bring? Death? Good. Destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's anger. There's a righteous anger. There's death. There's separation. There's destruction. The Bible even talks about not just poof, I'm gone, I never exist or don't exist, I never existed or I don't exist anymore. It's eternal. The Bible talks about his wrath as being something so terrible. We see it very first in the story of the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve choose to believe something different from what God told them. And it was set, it was very subtle, wasn't it? The serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, So you're not allowed to eat from any tree of the garden? And Eve said, no, no, no. We can eat from from all the trees except for this one. And the serpent lied and said, oh, you can't eat from that because God knows your eyes will be open. You'll be like him. And the crazy thing about that was that they were already like him. They were already created in the image of God, in his likeness. It's like the Jedi mind trick a little bit. You know? Oh. And that's how the enemy works. And it's similar here and as we as we think about this terrible news that we deserve God's wrath. The enemy kind of says, Well, it's not that bad. I mean it's not it's not it's not terrible. The Bible saying it is. This is this is really bad. And we're guilty as charged. Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God led to pain and suffering that the world knows today. The fruit of their decision is All of the bad things in life today. The fruit of rebelling and disobeying God is death and separation and suffering and pain and anger. It's God's wrath. And it's not just 
in the now. It's not just during your lifetime. It's eternal. You might say, you know what? I don't, I don't, uh, I don't make the world about myself instead of about God. I don't honor created things over God. How many of you think in your minds, man, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I just gave this homeless guy some money and got my bottom a meal. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not that bad of a person. How many of you have thought that before? Maybe not that exact example, but how many of you thought, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a pretty good girl? How many of you have ever thought, man, I'm, oh, I'm so terrible, I, I should have done this, and I didn't do it, I failed to do this? How many of you have done that? How many of you have said, if only my, my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my wife or my husband, if only my boss or my father or my mother would approve of me or would, would recognize me? All of those things. All of those are exchanging the glory of God for images resembling mortal man. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have failed to acknowledge God. We've failed to put our trust in God. We've failed to obey God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is what? It's death. Ephesians 2.3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We deserve this wrath. The Bible says we deserve it. Everyone. You know, the wrath of God being revealed is part of the good news. It's part of the good news because the good news includes the solution to the problem, right? So we deserve His wrath. The good news is that He sent Jesus. He became flesh to take on the wrath that we deserved. That's great news, you guys. Something very bad is, is supposed to happen. Absent Jesus. Something very bad, very grave, very serious, and nobody's off the hook. So you have to believe that part to understand why the good news is so good. It's also why it's so powerful. That's why the gospel is the power of God to save. That's powerful. That's more powerful than anything. The gospel isn't just a rescue plan. It's not just hell insurance. There's a reason why God saved us. It's the gospel, the saving grace of God, the saving um, work of Jesus is a past, present, and a future thing. God has saved us from something 
for something. God is saving us from something for something. And God will save us from something for something. Paul says through faith we have been saved. We're believing that. Believing this news, this good news, this powerful news. We are being, we have been, we are being, we will be saved from our unrighteousness and our rebellion for a new purpose, which is righteousness, right living, relationship with God, His glory. Through faith, Paul says, through faith, through believing, through being a good person, through living life as best you can and sort of being okay, No, it's His work, remember? The beginning thing we talked about was His work. It's through faith, it's through believing, through believing His his work. God has saved us from this penalty, this wrath, the penalty of sin for the purpose of being His children, His beloved children. Everybody's looking up there, right? Are they... (laughs) Some of us think that God has saved us and now we need to live a life in our strength. It's like, okay, I'm saved. Now I'm on my own. That's not the gospel. It's good. It's even The news is getting better here. It just gets better and better. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 and 2. Same guy, Paul. He's saying, now, I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul goes on, and he goes on to talk about the resurrection, the raising of Jesus from the dead. (coughs) And then in another passage, he informs believers, he says, you have the power of the resurrection. And what he's saying here is that the heart of the gospel is this resurrection power. It is this Holy Spirit. It is is God's Spirit. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. It was crazy. We were actually praying this morning, my dad and I. um, And I was praying and he added a little section onto the end of my prayer. And This was what he said. He said, Thank you, Father, that you have sent the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to live in us. Do you guys get that? Do you understand what that means? He Paul goes on to try to maybe nail it home, you know? Just let's 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 hit the home run. He says, If He isn't raised from the dead. We're all still slaves. And we're to be pitied. Because if he didn't defeat death. The penalty of sin. If he didn't defeat sin. Then there's no power to overcome sin. We're screwed. Sorry kids. (laughs) We're in trouble. God is saving us, is saving us. He has saved us for all time, for all sins. 
We are righteous before our Father in Heaven because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did 2,000 some years ago. But He doesn't stop there. He's saving us from the power of sin by putting His Spirit inside of us to live. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you mortal bodies, to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So the saving work of God didn't just happen and it's done. Although it is done. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it's how that works. Jesus did say it is finished. It is done. Now, it's also continuing in that the Holy Spirit lives in us. God will save us from the presence of sin for eternity. That's the future. First Peter 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, through now, though now for, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There will be a time when the struggles of temptation and sin, suffering, sickness, death, all those things will be gone someday. Jesus will return. We will receive an inheritance. We will no longer be in the presence of sin. We will be in the presence of righteousness of God. The gospel is good news that Jesus saved us from our sin, is saving us from the temptation and power of sin, and will save us from the presence of sin someday. We have a certain hope. We have an inheritance that is, the, the text said, imperishable. How many, of you, how many of you eat spam? It's imperishable. 
Right? It doesn't go bad. That's what that means. Even more, though. Eternally. More than spam. It's undefiled. Sorry. A little comic, really. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for us. I love this. I forgot to look it up. I just thought about it just now. I love in Scripture somewhere. The Bible says that God, that Jesus does not lose any that the Father gives to Him. And we could unpack that and go really deep into what that means and all that. But just the idea that this hope, this imperishable, this undefiled, this unfading inheritance is being kept by the one who doesn't lose stuff. He doesn't lose anything the Father gives to him. So our assurance is in that. Nothing will destroy what we ultimately are putting our hope in because the one who holds it for us has already overcome sin and death and Satan. There's nothing that can take that. I... I almost hate to use this phrase just because it's so overused in the, we'll say, the Baltimore Ravens last year football team. If he is for us, who can be against us? That's Ray Lewis always says that about football. But <laughs> This is why we have hope because what lies ahead is, is far better than what we have today. We can lose everything because we already have everything that's secure. So with all those things that we've talked about, that's fantastic news, guys. That's really good news. How many of you have ever won the lottery? You have? Oh. Anybody? I've won the Nigerian lottery several times, but I just haven't collected. How many of you have received like a multi-million dollar inheritance from a great uncle that you never knew about? How many of you, if that happened to you, would be kind of excited? And you... Sometimes even, i got to confess, you kind of think, man, that would be sweet. I would do this, I'd do this, and I'd do this. And most of the things I would do would be serve other people. <laughs> but we, we don't consider news like this as good as news of, like that, do we? When we're pregnant... My wife and I called our family. Hey, we're having a baby. When we got engaged, we called her family and my family. Hey, we're getting engaged. We're going to get married. We, when we have children, we announce it. We tell people about it. Why? Because it's good news. It's good news. Everybody likes good news, man. If you... If you we're walking down the, the aisle at Best Buy, and one of the people that worked there said, Hey, man, we're giving away 100-inch plasma screen TVs. Here you go. What would you do? You'd be on Facebook with your friends. You'd text your people. 
You'd be like, dude, you got to get to Best Buy and get a hundred inch. I mean, we tell everything about everything, don't we? How do we, how do we do with with this little bit of news? It's a little tidbit of uh, happiness. The gospel is not meant to be suppressed, right? Jesus said in John twenty twenty one, "As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you." And when the Father sent the Son, it kind of started in this way where Jesus was baptized by John and as he came out of the water, the Father said, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Think about that. As you have been saved and filled with the Spirit of God, God looks at you and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, and I'm well pleased with them. And Jesus says, as I have been sent, so I'm sending you. So you've been birthed with the Holy Spirit, and you're being sent. We are being sent. Jesus was sent. He was was sent. Jesus was sent. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And by the Holy Spirit... By his power, he resisted the temptation of the devil, of Satan. He returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and then taught in their synagogues. And he was glorified in that. And he he went to a synagogue, opened the scroll, and started reading from Isaiah by the power of the Spirit. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind so that to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's that's awesome. Then he continues teaching and they're astonished because of the authority that he has by the power of the Spirit. He casts a demon out of a man. He heals people. He preaches good news. He calls people to himself to become disciples, to become followers. He cleanses lepers. He heals paralytics. And on and on and on and on by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit that raised him from the dead, that gave him the power to heal, that caused him to listen and hear what his Father's will was, that that gave him the ability to go to the cross voluntarily and be killed for something he didn't do. That same spirit has been given to us. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Walking by faith in this good news means being led by the Spirit. Walking in the power of the Spirit to do the works God saved us and sent us to do. We hear that we're beloved, that we're God's beloved, just like Jesus did. This is my beloved. We hear that because of the Spirit who lives in us.
The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses. Dead people don't hear things. He has to make us alive. His spirit has to do the work. We overcome sin and temptation by His Spirit, like Jesus did in the wilderness. We teach and proclaim the gospel with authority by His Spirit. We demonstrate what God's kingdom is like and who God is and what the character and attributes of God are by walking in His Spirit. We make disciples and lead people by the power of His Spirit. And He's glorified by His Spirit living in us. So we were saved. The good news is we've been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And that we get to go and share that with others. That good news is so good, we should be proclaiming it from the rooftops. Not should be. We get to. We get to tell people about this awesome thing. This awesome news. We're going to close today with communion. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to invite you, when I get done praying, just to come in, grab... uh, some of the bread and dip it in the wine and get together with your gospel communities if you're if you're part of one or if someone's not just invite them into your little circle or whatever you want to make square um, and share remind each other of why we're taking this the, the bread representing the broken body of Christ and the and the wine or the juice representing His blood that was poured out for us. This is uh, an act of worship. This is a time to just remember. Jesus said, do this and remember to me. And it's all pointing to this good news that we've been talking about today. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to give of your tithes and offerings. We talked a little bit about it, but... Because our Father owns everything. He's given us all that we have and all that we have is His. We can demonstrate an act of worship by giving Him of our first fruits, Giving to the church. Giving to others. Being generous because our Father has been generous with us. So I want to encourage you to give. And take this time to do that. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, if you would pray with me be awesome. Father, I love just this excitement that you have done this work of saving us, that you have sent your spirit to live inside of us, that you have secured an inheritance for us in eternity because of Jesus. And this is good news indeed. God, I pray that you would move us to let this beautiful and certain hope that we have really enable us to be long-suffering, to be patient, to endure, to be steadfast, 
in our loving of one another and, and, and our neighbors and loving of you so that all of our friends and family and neighbors and members and work co-workers, even our enemies might see how good you are and hear about this news that makes us have this hope. I pray as we take uh, communion today that we would just be reminded that we would take the communion with hearts of gratitude, that we would remember our Savior, that we would rejoice in and celebrate just what good news this is, that Jesus died for our sins and that he took took on the penalty and that he was raised from the dead and, and that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. So let us be, let us celebrate that today, Lord. Let us pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.